everybody to the SRC report. As you know, I'm Athena Keynes, Principal at McInnes Wilson Lawyers, and I'm joined today by Carmen King, a Senior Associate in our Commonwealth Compensation team. Carmen, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Today, Carmen and I are going to talk about reasonable administrative action and in particular, how an agency might structure its reasonable administrative action response in any kind of employer statement or request for reconsideration. And I think at the outset, what Carmen and I want to reiterate that reasonable administrative action really is not about finding ways to exclude compensation. And I think there needs to be a real acknowledgement that when an employer puts in a reasonable administrative action case in a response or a request for reconsideration, it can have an effect on the employee receiving that. So there's decisions or their evidence that it's something that agencies shouldn't take lightly. And today's session is about talking about what are the triggers for a reasonable administrative action case for an employer and how should an employer frame that and what evidence should they include. So Carmen, we talk about this a lot, don't we? Yeah, it, it comes up very frequently. Um, of the claims that I get that relate to psychiatric uh, conditions, claimed psychiatric conditions, it's it's a, a frequent um issue to be determined as to whether it should be excluded on the basis of reasonable administrative action. Um, and the difficulty we often have is that it seems to be a go-to uh, provision to try and exclude a claim. Um, and often, unfortunately, it is not backed up by the requisite amount of evidence needed um, because the burden of proof in an RAA matter largely rests on the respondent due to its exclusionary nature. And I think, I mean, something that we'll talk about a lot in this series is uh, the beneficial nature of the legislation as well. So uh, the legislation is not set up to exclude people from compensation. So I think that's no. absolutely right, Carmen. And I thought we thought it might just be uh, good to, Ray, to talk about the difference between reasonable management action and reasonable administrative action just as a threshold question because it often comes up that um, agency employees who are working on this tend to confuse the two and conflate the two and they are actually quite different. Reasonable administrative action is included in reasonable management action but reasonable management action is not reasonable administrative action. And what I mean by that is reasonable administrative action, it focuses on action taken that's specific to that employee, whereas reasonable management action will include organisational um, changes, it will include directions to perform, just do your job, and they are not included in reasonable administrative action. So what are the common categories of reasonable administrative action, Carmen? Normally what we find is things like performance management um, of an employee will be reasonable administrative action. Um, things like failure to obtain or retain a benefit. Um, so that can often refer to things like uh, promotion or failure to get a promotion. Um, we also have things like um, informal performance management is also a big one. Um, so it doesn't necessarily require there to be a, a formal process taking place to trigger the section. Um, and it can also be kind of any, the, the section is drafted so that it it's not limited. It, it 
gives a, a bit of a list, um, but the list is not exhaustive. So as long as you can show that the action that was taken was specifically in relation to the employee's employment, um, then you can make the argument that it was reasonable administrative action. And I think a really obvious example of that that Carmen and I spoke have spoken about is a machinery of government change. Now, a machinery of government change will mean that an employee's department may change. Where they work, their location of work may change. Now, if the location that the employee worked at um, was actually a cause of some kind of psychological condition, as in changing that location caused a psychological condition. If the change in that location was because of a machinery of government change, that would not be reasonable administrative action because that applies to everybody, say, in this employee's chain of command or, or, or job because that's how machinery of government's changes work. But if um, it wasn't related to a machinery of government change and was actually specific to that employee and a discussion with that employee about we are going to change your location of employment, um, Carmen, your employment location is changing specifically, then that may indeed be reasonable administrative action because it's not this organisational decision. It's a decision that's specifically related to that employee alone. Mm. Would you agree, Carmen? Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. And anything that's going to affect the general section or a large number of employees because of one action is not necessarily going to be considered an administrative action with respect to the employee's employment, which is how the section is worded. So that's a really important consideration when looking at this particular section. So we won't get too far into what is reasonable administrative action because I think that is definitely a topic for another podcast. <laughs> what we wanted to talk about, we just want to go a little bit of an overview of the difference because what we are talking about today is much more related to evidence and what um, kind of documents an agency might need to establish that there is a reasonable administrative action um, taken in a reasonable manner in relation to an employee. And that because it's really that's a fundamental need if Comcare is going to decline a claim based on this exception. So Carmen, I think that we should just focus to start with or let's just focus on performance because really that's probably where we see the RAA um, exclusion being relied upon the most. So would you like to talk to us a bit about what you see as the fundamental issues in relation to or the fundamental evidence we might need in relation to a performance uh, RAA claim? Sure. Um, importantly, I think with these things is is to start at the point before you've even looked at there being a compensation claim. And if you have an employee that requires some assistance, some performance management, some counselling or coaching, it's important to keep detailed file notes of those meetings, those conversations, because while they may seem to be fairly inconsequential at times from a supervisor's perspective. From the employee's perspective, it can be a big deal when you're told that you require a bit of coaching in your job or performance management, even on a very minor informal basis. That can be a big deal. And those are the kinds of things that can then, with a cumulative effect, um, 
turn into a claim for compensation. So it's important to keep detailed file note of these kinds of actions. I would expect to see um, emails being kept of conversations, email conversations between the supervisor and the employee, file notes of meetings that occur, um, even if it's just an email to you yourself to say, I met with so-and-so today and we discussed the following points. Those are the sorts of things that I would expect to see uh, in a case where the RAA exclusion was being argued um, because one of the things that I find and I've had several cases of late where the contemporaneous material is just non-existent but an RAA argument is being attempted without any of the evidence to support that particular argument. Often as well, these things can uh, turn into something like a personality clash between a supervisor and and an employee. Um, and the fact that two people don't get along very well is not a basis for a, an administrative action uh, exclusion. But those are the cases as well where it's vital that we've got that documentary trail of the steps that were taken, um, because that will show either that reasonable actions were taken by the supervisor to assist the employee to improve their performance, or alternatively, will show that it was not reasonable um, and that the employee should, in fact, be granted compensation in this particular case. And I think the file notes, obviously, are crucial pieces of evidence. And without them, where we're left is an employer trying to reconstruct a performance process, which, as Carmen said, can lead to a real he said, she said uh, situation between the employee and the supervisor. And it opens both up to really some quite difficult conversations because if you are not keeping file notes and if you are not managing performance probably in that in that way, then there's a real question there whether the employee is even aware that they are being performance managed. Yeah. And the number of cases that Carmen and I have seen where the employee's first indication that they were in fact under some kind of performance management is in the employer statement, it, it shouldn't be that way. And that's yeah. where the harm can be caused. And then we have a situation where we have witness statements and we've got the supervisor up on the stand against the employee. And it and they're very difficult cases to run and they are very difficult for all involved. One thing I would absolutely advocate as well is like more open communication between um, supervisors and their employees. Because I've also seen matters where, as you say, the first the employee knows about being performance managed is when they've seen the employer statement. But then I've seen email correspondence between the supervisor and the next level up talking about the performance of this employee. But none of that correspondence has been had with the employee. So the higher ups are all having conversations about this person's performance and the fact that it may need some work or some management, but none of those conversations have actually occurred with the employee. So really open and transparent communication with the employee and appropriate file noting of that communication is really, really important as well, because just because the supervisors have had the discussion, that doesn't make it performance management if the employee has no idea that it's mm. happened. And I think we link that back to what we said at the start. Administri reasonable administrative action is action taken in relation to the employee. Mm. Um, 
reasonable administrative action is not just identifying performance issues that all of the higher ups are aware of. That has to be brought down and applied to the employee for it to be reasonable administrative action. So it, it always has to be brought back to the employee. So I think there's a real piece of work there, as we would always say in performance management, of capability of the supervisors who are conducting the performance management and the administrative action. I think that's key. And obviously most agencies, in fact, all agencies would have policies, but there also may be, if you're identifying a gap between what you're seeing supervisors do whilst they're in the thick of the performance management. And as Carmen said, this happens mostly in that informal stage before they've reached out to HR. If you've noticed this capability gap, then there really is a, a place there for some training to ensure firstly that good file notes recorded, but which will also assist in providing procedural fairness and natural justice to the employee who is being performance managed because where you've got file notes, you've got, you've got a record of conversation being had, which uh, is integral <laughs> to a reasonable administrative action claim for performance. Mm. And I think, Carmen, I guess another thing we wanted to talk about is, what, you know, what? how do you fill in the gap if you are in a situation where performance processes have been occurring, informal performance processes, and there isn't uh, a record or a, a very adequate file noting record? How I've seen agencies deal with this well, and I've seen them deal with it very poorly. I would say from my experience that probably the worst way this can be dealt with is by simply shooting off emails to the supervisors, attaching the employee's uh, statement in support of their compensation claim and then asking them to respond and then sending their response straight to Comcare as part of the Section 71. That's probably the low point. <laughs> Carmen, what's, and I can explain why, but I will hand over to Carmen. I mean, look, it's, it's, it is difficult to fill in gaps if, if that contemporaneous material doesn't exist. It's very hard to then try and fill those gaps in a way that is going to appropriately fulfil the need for the evidence in a tribunal. Um, if you're getting a statement from a supervisor 12 or 18 months after the event um, and they don't have emails or file notes with which to refresh their memory, then their statement is not going to have um, provide a large amount of evidentiary assistance. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I have difficulty remembering what I had for breakfast, uh, you know, yesterday. So uh, asking someone to properly recall the events that may occur, may have occurred 12 months down the line, because this is often what happens is that com workers' compensation claims are made when the person first feels their symptoms and first understands that they are unwell, but then the actual issues that cause that to occur often are cumulative and can have occurred three, six, 12 months ago in the past. So um, statements can be really, really useful if they're properly considered and if they're written in a meaningful way. Um, but ultimately, for me, if the, the file notes and, and email correspondence and, and those kinds of documents from the time don't exist, it's really difficult to get um, to make a good case based on an RAA exclusion. I think you're right. But there, I guess the way that we would approach a statement if we don't have that contemporaneous evidence is 
by reviewing the statement of the employee and then asking questions of the supervisor that are specific to the allegations raised by the employee because sending an employee statement to a supervisor is quite an inflammatory step. Uh, supervisors are yep. human beings and they you know, so it's very rarely the case that a supervisor is undertaking a performance process in a in a really negative way. In most cases, they are genuinely trying to improve the performance of the employee, and then to find out that the employee the whole time has found it an incredibly, for want of a better word, toxic uh, kind of process can be incredibly hurtful to a supervisor. <laughs> so yep. you can find supervisors react to those employee statements emotionally, and it's entirely highly understandable. So it's if you do need to get a statement from a supervisor, because at that initial stage, at least when you're responding to the initial claim, you don't have contemporaneous evidence and the supervisor has said to you, we, we were in this RAA process. I mean, they're obviously not going to call it that, but you've identified it as a potential reasonable administrative action process. Then they, the supervisor will need help and guidance in properly responding to the employee statement and in order to address the issues that we need to address in a reasonable administrative action exclusion case. And those are firstly that we have administrative action as Carmen and I have talked about and secondly that it was conducted in a reasonable manner. And I guess overarching all of that is that the reasonable administrative action that was taken needs to correspond with what the applicant is saying causes their condition. Would you agree with that, Carmen? Yeah, I think that's right. If we're going to, if, if an agency is going to approach it in that way, then my strong recommendation to them is not to, firstly. <laughs> <laughs> and if, but if that's the decision that is taken, it is to involve the legal team because what you are doing is uh, you're creating evidence by obtaining a statement from a supervisor. And when you create evidence, it's evidence forever. And if it's not done with due care and attention, it can firstly be harmful to an employee needlessly. And secondly, it will actually not assist Comcare in making its decision and then ultimately a tribunal or a federal court if it ever got to that point. I agree with that entirely. Um, the other thing to remember for these supervisors who are making these statements is in the event that these matters do get to the tribunal, the expectation will be that they will be giving evidence and the basis of that evidence will be any statements that they've made. Any any statements that are made without due care um, and proper consideration of the issues will make it incredibly difficult for them to give evidence. Um, and if they turn into uh, what can sometimes become, for want of a better term, slanging matches mm. uh, between a supervisor and, and an employee, um, because, as you said, they've just been given each other's statements as a whole and then been asked to respond to it, people do respond to these things emotionally and they are going to focus on the personal aspects of it as opposed to the legal or administrative questions that are being asked in relation to the processes um, of any kind of action that was taken. So you, you never want to be in the position of having to give evidence and explain yourself to a tribunal under oath why you called someone names or... <laughs> 
re referred to someone in a less than uh, polite manner in a statement that was then filed in a tribunal. So it, it's always important to consider the long-term ramifications of these kinds of matters as well. Yeah, and, I, and going back to something you said before, Carmen, these statements, um, if they're obtained in this way, they are more contemporaneous to that. And what I mean by contemporaneous is they're created closer to the events that um, are being questioned or looked at, which gives them greater evidentiary weight, weight. than statements, than, a, than a, a statement that we might draft after trying to regularise uh, what the supervisor was actually trying, probably trying to say. Uh, in their emotional rebuttal of the employee's statement. So, and that's the that's the potential risk uh, to agencies in in obtaining evidence in that way. So, I guess if we can just recap on the important things in relation to evidence for reasonable administration actions is firstly, as Carmen said, contemporaneous file notes, and that is, fundamental to a lot of, uh, to a performance management process uh, and probably fundamental to most administrative actions, I would have thought, because they mm. are specific to employees and they should be file noted. That is something that happens before any, any claims are made. So that really is an agency having really good capability of their supervisors. The second is to be very careful Agencies should be careful in asking Comcare to apply the reasonable administrative action exclusion. In our view, making those, uh, applying the reasonable administrative action exclusion can be harmful to an employee and it really will not assist in rehabilitation if it's not thought through and there's not prospects of it being successful. The third thing is that Agencies should be very careful in getting supervisors to respond to employees' statements. In our view, that is the creation of evidence and there needs to be due care taken by agencies to ensure that anything that's obtained in that way from a supervisor uh, addresses the legal issues and is probably reviewed by a legal professional, whether it's within the agency or, or someone outside of the agency. So those are our three takeaway messages, Carmen. Did I mean, did I forget anything? No, I think that pretty much covers the main ones, yeah. Great. Well, thank you for joining me today, Carmen. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always. Thank you very much. And I remind all of our listeners to subscribe to the SRC report and also to have a look at our Lawflix capability. Lawflix is an on-demand CPD a repository that McInnes Wilson has. I'm sure if you just do a Google search, McInnes Wilson Lawflix, you'll be able to follow the links and register and you'll be able to look at training, uh, online training that we have presented regarding SRC Act and related um, employment issues at your leisure. So thanks, Carmen, and thank you, thank everybody, you. and we'll see you all again soon. Thanks very much.